Hi, and welcome to Nerdiest Prime. We are reviewing every episode of Star Trek Picard. Today we are doing Season 3, Episode 8, Surrender. What did we think of this episode? Let's start with Namir. I didn't like it that much, which is surprising to me. Um, I feel like as we go on, I'm getting a little bit harsher, but it's, it's starting to, to dovetail for me. So I'm, I'm liking some parts of it, but other parts of it are starting to really grate on me. And, and we can talk about that, but I'm, I wasn't a big fan of this episode, which I will say I was surprised about. I really wanted to like it. I was like, oh, I'm going to like it. And then uh, I didn't. And I was like, oh, that's strange. But I didn't feel good about it. I agree. Um, this one was eh. it's more wheel spinning, which frustrated me. The Jack stuff not being answered after they teased it at the end of the previous episode bothered me. But there were so many good moments between the TNG cast that it saved it for me. Like, I still had a good time based, just based solely on that. But plot-wise, I'm getting bummed out that we're not moving forward. Yeah, I like this episode not as much as the other ones, but as I've been saying, I feel like every episode is building on the last episode, so it's kind of a continuing storyline. So I'm not really seeing a huge difference. I'm just seeing a continuation of the same storyline. I'm enjoying the storyline. I like what's going on. Nothing has been really, um, you know, answered, and so I'm a little frustrated with that. As Alan's saying, there's this Jack Crusher stuff that's not really being, you know, we thought, I thought by this episode we would know what was going on, and there's only two episodes left, and... Now, anyways, we'll talk about it some more, but now I feel like this is actually leading as a into a backdoor pilot kind of situation. I mean, I think that conversation was there because the writers had decided for whatever reason that they wanted Riker to show up early in the season without Troy, and they needed to explain why Troy was there, so they invented this cockamamie like the 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 you know their marriages are falling apart. And then they needed this whole conversation to explain why their marriage had fallen apart because we had seen them happily married in season one. And, you know, it was okay. And I think there's a lot of that going on in this season of, of wrapping up loose ends or explaining things. One of the problems that I had with this episode was there was a lot, a lot of people talking about their, their feelings out loud. Like, like, and that tends to happen in TV shows, but... And you can kind of forgive some of it, but there was a lot of it in this one. Like, I feel this, you know, I feel this because I'm sad. You know? And so that entire scene between Riker and Troy was all of that. And I'm watching it thinking, is this not the first time you guys talked about any of this? Like, this is the first time since your son died that you talked about any of this, really. You know, this is why your relationship is breaking down, because you're not communicating yeah. I was a little confused by the 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 timeline on this thing because I'm not sure when the son passed away, and I'm like, it seems like they're they're addressing a lot of stuff that I thought had happened like maybe a decade in the past. I'm not quite sure because <laughs> I'm like, oh, like is he angry at her for for blocking out his his uh, grief or whatever she was doing for him empathically? And I'm like. Has she been doing this for like how long? And right, but I didn't want them to talk about that. Like, like what I wanted to see was them being in the same jail cell 
and not getting along and then working together to, to sort of escape. And because of them working together, that sort of brings them to, you know, back on the same page again. It was way too easy to rescue them. It went from, it went from Troy and Riker in peril to, to then suddenly they're just hanging out and Worf shows up and stabs that guy. And I'm like, oh, I thought there'd be more to this. <laughs> like he just appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> and was he walking behind that guy? Like, how come they didn't notice his approach? I don't know. Like, they're like, Worf! <laughs> He's like, shadowing. I think he was just there the whole time. The, the entire time they were in the jail cell, just Worf was on the other end. Just standing perfectly still like Drax, so that he seemed invisible. He's like, I gotta make a cool entrance. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part of that scene was after after the bad guy gets stabbed, and he they, they don't notice that it's Worf. They watch the bad guy fall down and they turn to look back and they're like, Oh, it's Worf. It's like you can see that right away. How'd you how'd you miss a six and a half foot Klingon standing behind that guy? <laughs> but yeah, I was like, I really thought there'd be some more peril, like like he'd be tortured and she'd or she'd be tortured and they would have to work out a clever escape plan. And and I don't know what Riker was thinking either when he said, oh, I'm sure Jean-Luc has a clever plan all cooked up. And I'm like, he hasn't had a clever plan all season. <laughs> and you've been standing behind him the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, you kicked him off the bridge for his bad planning. I, I really hated that everything about the hostage crisis. I thought it was silly. It didn't really make a lot of sense. You know, they've got, I don't even know how many of those little, little creatures, the little, you know, District 9 type creatures she's got on that ship. I assume lots. Why don't they just look for him? You know, she has control over the entire ship. They can just, you know, use a computer to find people. Yeah, th this was probably the weakest part of the episode. It was, it was not terribly well done. Because, again, we've seen in Star Trek before what, you know, they could put some neurazine gas throughout the, the ship and knock everybody out and just then go room to room till they find them. You know, like there's established things in Star Trek where this this kind of hide and seek and, and I can't find you on the ship would not work. One of the things that I really like about Star Trek, and I, I, you've heard this from me before, is that it's it's not Star Wars because it's smart, capable people doing smart things for the most part, right? And I think that's when Star Trek is its best, right? And they and it and it works well because they're within a <clears throat> you know a sort of a military organization and they follow the rules and they have procedures and they have, they're capable people. None of that was on display in this episode. You know, they take over the ship and all of the all of the other crew that are still in the hallway just start running around like their heads are on fire. They're like, oh, I don't know what to do. You know, and they're just running into the bad guys and the bad guys are shooting them. They're not trying to like mount a defense. They're not leaning on any of their supposed training at all to try and take back the ship. And that's what I wanted to see. The fact that the previous episode established Jack as this as this kind of super, super soldier type fighter who could just take control of someone and get into all sorts of crazy kung fu and just take out like four shapeshifters or changelings like that. And this time he just kind of he takes the control of that one guy and then he just runs down the hall and gets shot. I'm like, this isn't this isn't isn't showing any of the any of the talents that he had in the previous episode. And I like how there was like 
there's like no remorse on his part for doing that. He's like, that guy was like, you know, getting it together. He was like, he found a safe spot. He's like, oh, I'm okay. And then the next thing he knows, he's like in the middle of the hall in front of one of the bad guys. He's like, what am I doing here? And then he gets shot and killed. And Jack's like, oh, okay. Yeah, and he just gave up. He's like, oh, I can't, I can't get out of this room. I'm like, that's all I can do. I, I took control of one guy and he got shot. I'm like, I'm all out of ideas. <laughs> so the only thing that I thought was good about that scene was that Amanda Plummer is really good. So if you're gonna if you're gonna have a scene like that and you're gonna just reenact like Alan Rickman at Nakatomi Plaza, well, you know, Amanda Plummer as uh, as Hans Gruber is it's a pretty good choice. Yeah, it was a good time. And then they did the the whole the whole usual thing where they 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 do the lineup. It's like, oh, who's gonna die? And then, you know, and then I guess our Vulcan science officer is is no more now, which too bad. I liked her. I'm gonna get to the best part or my favorite part of the episode, which is data versus lore, which I thought was, on one hand, kind of predictable, and it's also really hard to dramatize like two computers fighting for dominance. But I thought they did a really good job of, of doing that thing in the void. And there wasn't really a second where I was like, Data's dead, I guess Laura took over. It was just like, okay, there's a thing happening here. It's like a concert encore. It's like, come on, you're coming out for another song. <laughs> it's like, just come out here and play. Stop making us wait. <laughs> I got a, I got a car to get back to and try to beat the traffic. <laughs> I, I, I like that the, the, but you know, I, and this is something I really like about this season is they're so accurate about bringing back these these things like you know the hat and the pipe and the little Tasha Yar hologram and. You know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that was great. I mean, anything that I'm just a sucker for any time they, they flash back or, or pull in the original series. Um, so I, I that's my favorite part of this episode as well. I thought, I thought they did that extremely well. And I like that, you know, they, they at least tried to fake you out. But everybody knows that it's not a fake out and Data's okay. But the, the act of it and going through it was just a lot of fun. Because you know it's going to happen, right? You know Data's going to win out in the end, and you're just waiting for it. And, and, and you're like, you know, he's handing things to Lore, and Lore's like, oh, I'm winning. And you're like, you're not winning. You know, you're going to get screwed in the end. You know, it's going to be great. <laughs> you know? That was that was our TNG cameo for this week. It was like we got we got not only Tashier, but we got Spot. Spot come back. Who thought Spot was going to be in here? <laughs> yeah. I know. I can't believe that cat lived for like 25 years. It's amazing. As a memory, he could live forever. <laughs> you had talked about last week, Alan, about there were some real TNG moments, like in the exchanges of the characters. And when Data came back and he was talking, but it was like an evolved version of Data. Basically, he's like, he's become fully human. It was like, oh, that's a really nice culmination of his journey after all these years. And especially that he didn't really get a chance to do that. Like, that's where... I've always wanted to see him. I imagine everybody's wanted to see him finally become human. Like, if his arc is Pinocchio, well, now he's a little boy. Yeah, Data has a way of saving... He has a way of saving, like, every episode he's in or, or every storyline he's in. He's just always so good. Uh, you know, and, and, and you're right. Like, you know, he's... He, it's, not, it's not just having an emotion chip. Like, he's actually a real person now which is kind of an interesting 
interesting switch because he's he's funny, right? And he uses contractions, even though he uses contractions all the time. But he uses contractions now, you know, like he's 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 a totally different, he's a variation of all the other you know versions. <clears throat> but he's like the final form, you know? Like he he's like the last Pikachu, right? He's he's turned into its final form. That's what elevated this episode for me, so I didn't completely my eyes didn't completely roll out of my head was all the data stuff. Cause yeah, the 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 face off against lore, like I was getting all like my eyes were getting a little moist and everything, and then I was like, saw Spot, and I was like, oh, and I'm like, and the hugs Lord, I'm like, oh, and then Jordy says, how do you feel? And he's like, I feel, I feel, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, I just got all warm and fuzzies through all this stuff, and I was like, it, it was, that was all great. Okay, so is Vatic really dead? Because she's a changeling, do, they, do changelings need oxygen? Can they, can they survive in space? That's the only way this, this this show works is the fact that the changelings in their solid form are vulnerable because they have organs and are, are partially organic from the experiments. So <clears throat> I guess she had her organic form solidified and shattered like like any any kind of humanoid. Okay, by the way, the way I love that part of the, the hostage scene was that the little thermal detonator is actually a shield. And then them blasting them out into space. We're like, that answers the question that Alan asked last year. But why is there a airlock on the bridge? I thought I thought exactly that. I still think it's a stupid concept. But I, 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 I thought I was like, wow, they have not acknowledged that there's an airlock on the bridge since the Naked Now in the first season when he's had their blowout party. Because <laughs> like, I'm like, it still seems kind of dumb. Like, that's like a really vulnerable thing to have on a bridge with all your senior staff. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it, I guess it's good in this scenario when your bridge has been compromised by an opposing force. But I feel like it's still like something that an opposing force could also easily take advantage of. It's just like, okay, goodbye, command crew. <laughs> like we just type a few buttons and you <laughs> but the bridge is is in a weird spot too because it's on top of the saucer section right so that's literally the most vulnerable part of the entire ship right and it sticks up like you know like a pimple well they do that in enterprise too like in like the third season of enterprise they do their alternate future and they're losing to the zindi the zindi just focus their all their weapons on the bridge and just blow them all up and then everybody gets sucked out and yeah. they're all dead <laughs> they're like where should we shoot oh yeah that really obvious bump there with the windows let's just shoot there <laughs> we're gonna get somebody <laughs> and i like they finally acknowledged that after like five series is they finally said oh that'd probably be a good place for the enemy to focus their fire <laughs> Yeah, and I like how the airlock was behind the the view screen because the view screen opens up, and then everybody gets gets sucked out. You're like, oh yeah, that's why you don't see like an actual hatch anywhere. It's behind the view screen. Fucking solids. It's like my my new favorite line from New Trek. <laughs> that's the one thing that throws me off. Is I, you guys were just probably talking about this, but it's the swearing. Every time they swear, I'm just like, ah. That doesn't belong in Star Trek. What's this doing here? You know, this isn't Breaking Bad. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's a little bit like, like a dad trying to swear around his teenage kids to be cool or something. 
that's what it feels like. And you're like, oh, just. It always feels very shoehorned. You don't. You don't have to swear. You don't have to make yourself swear. They they keep trying to drop the f bomb in Star Trek, and it's always really awkward. But I like that one. <laughs> like every other time you try to use it, I'm like, oh, do not use the f word in Star Trek. Is you're not you're not doing a good job with it. But but Vadix exit was very very nice. I feel like they 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 are going towards the Borg, because there was that say that one line that Vadic says, and and she said when when Seven jumped onto the bridge to be with with her and Jack, and it's like ah you might as well be here too you'll be interested in this or whatever she says, you know because of who you are. And I'm like oh she's gonna they're gonna reveal that he has something to do with the Borg and and that's why Seven will find this interesting. I'm going to be very disappointed if that's what it is. And and the ancient evil part of it, that's when I started, I was like, oh, are they going to like explain the origins of the Borg? And is that why Seven is going to be interested in this? There's, there's actually another line that Jack says where I'm like, oh, that's kind of a Borgy thing to say. Because he's like, so when he's got the, uh, the, the shield detonator, right? And he's threatening them. And he's like, you know, don't bother resisting. And, and it feels weird, like it doesn't fit. And you're like, oh, that's just another way of saying resistance is futile. I didn't notice that, but yeah, yeah. I feel like they're dropping in some some Borg hints. They, they are. And it, and it may be, like, maybe they're being clever and they're trying to, like, you know, misdirect you. But I don't think so. I think, Alan, you, you said that, you know, you just said that this is, like, the origins of the Borg. And I think you might be right. I think that's that's what they're what they're trying to do is, like, where did the Borg come from? Oh, that's what I think. I think that the 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 goo hand thing is Armus. <laughs> Armus, Armus created the Borg. So what's what's behind the red door? What do you guys think? This is the last thing. Oh, it's, it's Lacutus. <laughs> I was like, they, they 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 got the red the red light coming through the keyhole. I'm thinking about Lacutus with his red laser. I think whatever was causing their the aromatic syndrome is whatever they implanted in him to keep the, like a program or something to keep the original creator of the Borg alive. And so it just, it just got, it got passed down. It's like possession, right? So it just gets passed down to um, Jack. I I think I'm going to be a little bit hard in this episode because I didn't really didn't like it. Uh, I'm going to give it a five. Five. Lowest rating yet for season three Picard. We spun our wheels again. They it kind of built a promise last week that didn't to to reveal all, and it didn't. And but again, it was elevated by the TNG stuff, the all the data lore, Jordy getting the gang back together, all hit me right there. So I'll give this one a seven again, even though this episode was it was a little weaker. It's still continuing the, 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 the story that I'm really enjoying. And there was these amazing TNG moments and Data's back and all that. So give it a solid 7 out of 10. Wouldn't they, wouldn't they want to go back to the Shrike, the ship and then get Picard's body? They saw that it already had what they needed extracted from his brain. And then so the rest was just like, oh, it's just the body. And when they when they show Picard's body, you can see like the little empty area where his his junk should be. It's like it's like smooth, <laughs> like a Ken doll. It's not, there's nothing there. It was like, was he always like that? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, they took that too. <laughs> they, they 
put it in like a little jar of formaldehyde. They need his balls, his ball sack, and his brain. <laughs> That's all they need. 